Hey everybody and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I am your host Charles Curtis uh, here for the Tuesday edition of uh, our, our bi-weekly podcast and I'm here again and I, I just love bringing him back because uh, we, we love talking football here. Uh, I'm here with Stephen Ruiz, our NFL loving colleague who uh, uh, has has had a, a rough run of uh, non-football related things but now you get to the Super Bowl so congratulations on that. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was just a test from the football gods. I had to earn the Super Bowl. <laughs> For those who don't, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I had to get through that Panthers game and the, the the wild card round. That was tough to take, and then got the flu, had some car issues. But I'm I'm back. I'm I'm, I'm ready for the Super Bowl now. Great, that's good. And and even though there's a lot of people lamenting the Super Bowl, it's still the Super Bowl. It could be better than we think. Uh, I'm pretty psyched because it's the Super Bowl, and I don't care. Like it might be a Blood. could be a close game. Eagles could win. I don't know. Let's look back first, though, at, at last weekend's action or, or Sunday's action um, uh, with two games that, that I, I was hoping there was a, two close ones. There was one that was pretty close. Um, what was your kind of take? Are you on the sort of the, like, the are you one of the people who's like, oh, the, the Jaguars got jobbed because of the referees? No, I didn't even really like. I thought the the one the pass interference call on AJ Boye was suspect. Well, when I first saw it, I I didn't think it was, and then the, on the replay, I, I was like, oh yeah, that, I don't think that was pass interference. But no, I didn't really even. I wasn't even. That wasn't even on my mind until I saw other people talking about it after the game. I I get the the Miles Jack play, but that should, that was just a tough play to to call like in real time. I didn't even know what happened until I saw the replay, the slow motion replay. I don't think the refs did either. So I don't really blame that on them. I think, and then the, the Patriots, I, what did they have one penalty? I think that's just a result of them being a, a team that's coached well. Yeah, no, I, I was not, I was not completely, I don't blame A lot of people were talking, uh, buzzing yesterday about how the refs, you know, and, and all the, you know, the Jags get all, none of the calls and the Pats get all the calls. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, it would be one thing if that cost them the game in some fashion. Um, but to me, it's exactly what you and I have been saying for two, three weeks now, that at some point the, the Blake Bortles was going to catch up um, with the, the Jags, and, and it, that's just what kind of happened. I think that, that the offense in the second half, you know, things got a little conservative. I, I was sort of mildly shocked, but I understood the mental aspect of, of taking a knee with two timeouts at the end of the first half. Um, but that's a sign, right? That's a sign that they don't believe in their quarterback and they don't believe in, in what they're doing. That said, I saw a lot of great stuff out of what they were doing scheming-wise, Blake Bortles. I have to think that the Jags coaching staff did a great job in the first half. Kind of wish that, that it happened in the second half, right? Yeah, I think – and I, I, someone tweeted this, out, tweeted this out and I retweeted it on Sunday. They mentioned that, you know, these some a lot of these coaches, especially West – Coast offense coaches, they script like the first 15 or 20 plays of the game. So Bortles like knew what the Jaguars were going to run. So he was completely comfortable with what they were going to run. They probably consulted him on what his favorite plays were. So I think that's why he got off to such a hot start. And maybe they were more trust trusting of him. And then after they went off that script, I think they did go conservative. They thought they the defense could carry them home and I think they just didn't trust Bortles off script was the thing that happened. And I mean, I don't blame them for that, but at some point you got to, they should have known we're going to have to throw it downfield to win this game because the Patriot, we don't have a big enough lead. I think he got down to four points before 
the second half and the Patriots are are putting everyone in the box and sitting on these short throws. We're gonna the only way we can beat them is if we throw deep and they just never did it in the second half. Which is funny because Alan Hearns is having himself a fine game and uh, uh, you know I, I was I, I was just mildly shocked to see that some of those downfield throws weren't happening. On the other side of the ball, and this is something I was I was thinking about and yes, I was thinking about you Steven during this game. Uh, the one thing I wanted to know is how shocked were you to see the ball go to Brandon Cooks time and time again? Because I thought this was like an anti-Brandon Cooks kind of game, right? You want to stay away from A.J. Ramsey, assuming that he's uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey, and you want to you want to kind of uh, you know move the ball, and, and they did to Amendola. But to me, they really went after Ramsey, um, who actually you, you know you got your dream when when Gronk was on the field, Ramsey was was on him occasionally. But to me, it was like, wow, like, you know, what did what did Belichick see that, that he thought he could go after probably, what, one of the top two co- cover corners in the NFL? Well, I, th- I thought they kind of tried to keep Cooks away from Ramsey at times, and I think that's when he got his bigger plays was against uh, Boye. And I think – I don't think that's necessarily a knock against Boye. I just think – the, there, you have to find a weakness somewhere on the on that Jags defense, and the, there just really isn't one. Just because at every level they're just stacked, and Boye's probably might be a top ten quarter on his own. And so I think Belichick just said, "All right, I mean, going after Boye isn't necessarily a great strategy in a vacuum, but against this Jags D, I, it's the really the only thing we can do." And you're right, they weren't afraid to go at Ramsey. They put Gronk on his side when he was still in the game, and they had some success with. Uh, against him I think the one thing with Ramsey is and you see it on tape if you watch it uh, he he's like a physical like marvel but his technique isn't great like he'll jump he'll bite on some things that he shouldn't bite on and he'll sometimes he relies on his athleticism a little too much so I think he can be exploited if you have a smart enough game plan and a good and good enough players and the Patriots clearly have both of those things yeah, and we'll see it in the Super Bowl. And and, and uh, for those of you listening, we will do a bigger, more comprehensive NFL preview next week. But just touching on it a little bit, it just seems to me that, that the Patriots have themselves now, assuming Gronk comes back healthy, kind of right where they want to be, right? They've kind of figured out that Dan- Danny Amendola is going to play the, the Edelman role, um, mm-hmm. and, and Gronk will be Gronk, assuming he's, he's healthy. And then the defense... It seems to me like, you know, their corners are healthy. Like, they, they've really, you know, that stuff on Gilmore play and on fourth down was like, you know, the the, the biggest sign that something's good is, is going on. Although, again, maybe another quarterback would have had better touch on that ball, but whatever, that's, a, that's for another time. Um, but I don't know. It seems like the Patriots are exactly where they want to be right now, and that's scary. Yeah, it, it, it is. They're playing well. Uh, I, but I'm... I've seen a lot of people saying like this is a mismatch Super Bowl and it's going to be boring and I'm of the opposite belief. I'm really high on the Eagles. I think they have a chance to to win this game. I think I think we'll get into this later or a lot more next week. But I'm high on the Eagles' chances going into this game. Actually, you know what? I, um, I'm, I'm let me put it this way. Uh, the lines start out at five and a half, and I immediately was like, oh, I'm taking the points. That's an, almost feels like a no-brainer. I think the line's going to start to move over the next week. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, except it, the Patriots going to win this game. That that I have yeah, yeah, no yeah. doubt about. Um, will the Eagles make it interesting? I kind of actually see what happened 
last week happening again where maybe the Eagles take a, a lead at some point. 10-3, you know, 6-0. Something like that where their defense plays well. And then the second half comes along, and this is what happened last week. And suddenly things fall apart because Belichick figures out what, what the Eagles are doing, sniffs it out. Or the Eagles play conservatively because they Tiger Woods it, you know, where they sort of they, they, they do what the Falcons did last year. They, they sort of play conservatively. They, they try to go by the books when they should maybe zag where they should zig. Um, I just uh, – it's just that allure or that, that uh, you know, that Belichick factor that we ultimately can't get away from it w- with the Patriots. And, and I know that's like such a, a cop-out in some ways or kind of a, a you know, a non-analytical answer. But it really is there. It really, truly exists. And we've seen it happen now a bunch. Yeah. Uh, let me explain why I think the Eagles have a chance. I think they're – I think they're set up kind of like the Falcons were last year with their defense just flying around and they have more depth than the the Falcons defense so I don't think the big thing with uh the Falcons blowing that lead in the Super Bowl I think was just fatigue Mm. just they just didn't have enough depth they got tired and the Eagles run like a they have like a similar game plan to what the Falcons were doing to the Patriots and I think they have more talent on defense definitely on the defensive line and they definitely have more depth they have reserve defensive ends that would probably start on 25 teams so i think they could give the patriots offense all kinds of problems the only difference is gronk didn't play in the super bowl last year and that's that's a game changer so it remains to be seen how that will affect the eagles approach we'll see what they do are they they might have to double them if they can get away with not doubling i think they have a chance of giving tom brady and the, the offense fits well, yeah, and this brings us to kind of the Eagles game last week. Uh, I was pretty shocked to see them trounce the Vikings. I mean, I, I thought that, you know, I thought your analysis pregame was good that, that the Eagles, you know, had a, had a really, you know, good shot at making this one uh, just a defensive battle. But to see what Nick Foles is doing, but Nick Foles has to do that again. Can he do that again? And I think the answer is I think he'll put up some points. I think he'll put up, you know, he could put up, you know, 20, 25 points. And this is like, in my head, it's the exact same thing I said about the Jags last week. If they can put up 20 to 25, they've got a shot. Yeah, I agree. I think this, this, their offense is so difficult to defend. Like, it, I don't even think the quarterback matters. Like, I'm not overly concerned about the, the Tom Brady, Nick Foles matchup. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal just because the rest of the Eagles roster is so good. Their their scheme on both sides is so good. Their offense like is, it. I think I called it like a Frankenstein like offense like back in the middle of the year. I think Chris Harris of the Broncos called it a college offense, mm. and it's much more than that. They do use college like uh, concepts, but they mix college concepts with pro like West Coast concepts and other pro style concepts. It's like really crazy to all break down. I didn't. I think the Patriots are going to have a hard time defending them. You don't think Belichick can uh, can can kind of you know I don't know work his 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 he's got two weeks you know to break down. Film. Yeah, he's going to need all 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 fourteen of those days. He's going to need all fourteen of those days because a, a lot of what the the Eagles do is, like happens after the snap. Like what happens after the snap decides like whether the play is going to be a running play or a passing play. And I just don't know how how much influence can a coach have with his play call if that's the case there's like a saying in in uh coaching circles it's like whoever holds the chalk last wins and 
those run pass options the Eagles run give them the chalk last. Like they they decide what the the play is. I think that's that's that might mitigate some of the coaching advantage that the Patriots have. Do you think that that's what what did the the Vikings end ultimately is not being able to defend that? Yeah, I think that is. I, you would you would have expected Mike Zimmer to to eat Doug Peterson's lunch, but that didn't happen. I, I think that those run pass options, those college influences are that's the big reason why. Interesting. I you know and I I I just think that that if that's the case, then. Nick Foles is going to win a, a, a title in your mind, right? Like that's that's nuts, and and that kind of speaks to. And this is funny. I've been having a, a text messaging a thon with some friends who are Eagles fans, and I'm listening to them, you know, say like, I don't know, you know, Carson Wentz, like I'm giving up on him. Like, well, you know, easy there, you know. Uh, but but it just seems to me that that Nick Foles in that situation has a lot going on for him here like he's thriving in this offense and you know i don't know this this is like a future question for the eagles like should they be thinking about no more carson wentz or is this just like how the offense is built no i i I don't think that because carson wentz's athleticism just brings another dimension to it like you can do read option stuff you're not really doing that with with Foles. with Foles, you have kind of like two options on those run pass options either hand it off or throw like a quick screen out to the out wide with Wentz you have three options you have handed off to the running back throw out those quick screens or Wentz takes off and runs so I think it's kind of like the same situation Foles was in with Chip Kelly where he's like doing really well in this system that that isn't necessarily built for a player like him so if I'm an Eagles fan I'm not even thinking about that I want Wentz running this I think it runs even better with Wentz uh, yeah, it's it's just crazy to me that the that you know I'm thinking about all my all my Philly fans uh, and friends. I, I went to school outside of Philadelphia um, for college, and and I, you know I, I heard them suffer, and 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 uh, it was during the Don McNabb era, so I, I was hearing from them all the time, and just imagining you know seeing what that city was like uh, uh, the, <laughs> the minutes and hours after the uh, NFC Championship win to see like. You know, buggies being uh, driven up the uh, the rocky steps, and you know, Broad Street being covered with people, and people running up poles even though they were covered in Crisco. Like that city, and that's you know, it, as a New York Giants fan, I have a lot of trouble here. And I was I was not going to talk about this on the podcast, but whatever. I'm a Giants fan. I have no idea who to root for, and I kind of want to pick one team to root for. I'm rooting for the Eagles, just for those those friends of mine who who are you know Eagles fanatics. But I'm having a really hard time with that. Like, who do you pick in the Super Bowl? I think there's going to be a lot of people uh, anti-Pats, and that's the only reason why they're going to do it. But, you know, to see that, that city win, and I think that city's a football city, to win a championship, like, that's huge and, and meaningful. Yeah, but don't you want to continue to make the jokes about Philly not having any Super Bowl trophies? That that one, it, is it a Giants fan that has that that customized jersey, the Eagles jersey? I think it says Super Bowl as the name, and then it has a zero. It does, yes. I want that guy to continue to wear that that jersey. That's the only reason I would root against the Eagles. I'm not really rooting for anyone in the Super Bowl. I don't like. I've thought about it the, the last day, and I really don't care who wins this game. I'm really just fascinated by the Belichick Doug Peterson matchup, and that. Uh, Whoever wins wins for me. I I fell out of my anti Patriots phase probably, probably, after that Seahawks Super Bowl they won. Mm. I just I just started to just appreciate what Belichick and Brady were doing. 
Well, yeah, that's funny. I think you and I wrote dueling, like, why you should root for the Falcons, why you should root for the Patriots last year. And I, I was like, I'll take on the Patriots. And I got <laughs> so much hate mail. And it was great. And I might, hey, might write it again this year, even though I'm sort of like, all right, let's see what the Eagles can do to, to win a championship. You talked about Doug Peterson, by the way, and I wanted to get into this, and, and we discussed this before we got on the podcast, uh, is a couple of the new coaching hires so that other people listening to this podcast who hopefully haven't turned it off already, uh, who can root for their team too, uh, talk about some hires. Uh, Giants and Pat Shermer, I, I asked you, I legitimately uh, reached out to you and said, what do you think? Because I'm a Giants fan. And I'm like, all right, let's see what he can do. I have no, uh, you know, I'm, I don't think it's a bad hire. I don't think it's the greatest hire ever, but uh, the guy has potential. Um, he's done really well with the Vikings. I, and so I, like, have some hope. My theory is I don't know, and you never know with these guys. These uh, He has head coaching experience, but I think he's changed a lot since then. So I, I just don't know with these coordinators. You never know, like, because play calling is only, like, one small part of being a head coach. I think he's a great play caller. You saw that this year. He, he had, Those receivers are running wide open all season long, and the running game was great. So I have no problems with – I don't think I'm going to have any problems with his play calling or his X's and O's, which is, was, a, was a problem with Ben McAdoo, especially this year. His offense was just uncreative. I don't think, I don't think that's going to be a problem with Shermer. I just think all the other things – like managing the locker room, dealing with the media, that's going to decide whether he's going to be a successful coach. And I did see one thing that kind of worried me. It was a story from a Cleveland paper back when he, I think when he was fired, it was that he had a lot of problems dealing with Cleveland's media. And now he's dealing with New York's media, which is a whole nother thing. Yeah. That, that, that is a little alarming, but he'll have to deal with it. That's it. You know, uh, I think, Sometimes I also think like the dealing with the media thing is overrated, but it is New York. Um, yeah, I think so too. But he he he's the one that said that he had the problem with the media, so it was a big enough problem where he acknowledged it. Yeah. Otherwise, I would ignore the New York media thing. I do think that's overblown. But if he's acknowledging the problem, then it was a problem. Yeah. To me, the the biggest problem is the is the locker room, given that the Giants suspended you know what is it three different players or they were two. No, it was three members of their secondary, right? And yeah. and they have all these other, you know, discontented players, and, and it, everything was a mess last year. So it's a big project, and you kind of wonder if the reports that say that he was their, you know, not their first choice, that kind of tells you that there are other other jobs that were that were juicier. I mean, what you were down on the, the Gruden hiring, and I'm sort of actually, I kind of disagree with you. I mean, you did ask the good question, like, is John Gruden – a great head coach. I think he's better than Jack Del Rio. And I think that, that yeah, he'll just bring I, a, a breath of fresh air. Yeah, go ahead. I I, I wasn't da- – I don't think I was down on it per se. I think mm-hmm. I was just skeptical of it. I think they gave him too much money. I think – but you had yeah. to pay him that much to get him out of get him out of the booth. He had a great job. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. I just don't know what to expect. If you're paying a lot of money – you're committing a lot of money to – to an unknown he hasn't coached in what i think it was nine years and the last time when he was coaching the game was so different but i've been encouraged by what i've seen what i've heard about him looking for his staff uh, he ended up going with greg olson who actually used to be the the raiders offensive coordinator i think in Derek Hart's first year uh but he interviewed kevin sumlin from texas a&m and i thought that was a good sign for me just that he was even considering going with a, like a college coach and like, you know, 
bringing in someone that's going to bring those fresh ideas and he's going to actually consider college like new ideas that are happening at the college level whereas like coaches like Rex Ryan and Bruce Arians are like notoriously against college coaches and think like the college game is so different from the pros and that and those guys are getting left behind so I think it's a good sign that a like an older guy like Gruden I mean I don't think he's that old but he obviously coaching a different era that he's embracing this new they're embracing football's evolution. You know, and I, I, I'd like to see that happen more. It's funny you talk about the college thing. You just mentioned about Doug Peterson's offense being really college-like. And that, that's cool to see that in the NFL. And I'm with you, like, in terms of, like, can John Gruden adjust to today's NFL? I, I'm curious to see if, uh, if, if the team responds to him. You know, like, he's such a tough, 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 tough coach. And I'm not saying Jill Rio wasn't. But, you know, to respond to a guy like that who's, like, really really tough on on players and and but also like you know he, he gives you that smile you know that that 100 billion watt smile and suddenly like you know you feel like the greatest person in the world it's his personality that's always been fascinating to me and i'm curious to see you know how Derek carr responds he seems to be saying all the right things though Derek carr keeps saying like yeah i'm really excited to be in this really complex uh named offense in the way that, that gruden runs things yeah i i think that might be a factor like the the fact that he's he is a character and he's kind of become a star. Like, I don't know if this is going to be the case, but maybe the players take him less seriously because of that. Like, cause you've been watching him on TV for nine years. It's kind of like surreal seeing this guy walk in and you kind of just, I don't know if they'll like think like, this is like a serious coach that, that uh, commands my respect. It's not his fault. Obviously it's just, what happened he's just like a celebrity now that's a really good point because you think about like the imitations from uh oh god what's the name of the guy who's on fox frank caliendo yeah caliendo and you know caliendo does the perfect gruden and you you know you have all those jokes about like spider 2 why banana and you have like the qb uh you know camp that he does you're absolutely right about that i think that is a factor and i kind of wonder if he'll be this is a stretch maybe, but like Tom Coughlin, the way that Tom Coughlin realized that he was being way too hard. And so he sort of just like dialed it back a little bit. So maybe mm-hmm. Gruden embraces that celebrity and kind of makes it into like, I'm going to be really tough on you, but like you kind of know that, that uh, you, you can earn my approval and I'll, I'll, you know, joke around with you. Or maybe that, you know, he'll, he'll joke with them too. Like, yes, but you're too wide banana, you know, and all that. I think the Raiders are going to be expecting that, that character we saw on Monday night football. And then he's just going to come in and just, be the complete opposite because he was like a he's like a general out there when he was with the bucks he's a drill sergeant yeah so i think i think that might be a shock to them well interesting thing you wrote recently about matt patricia just being and, and we'll move on to him you know being like the 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 assistant coach that will succeed without belichick talk about that a little bit if you can yeah just everything i've heard about him going through interviews the last couple of years just points to him being a guy that understands how to build a roster. I think one of the, I think Adam Schefter tweeted it out. It was one of the interviews, one of the interviews, uh, the, the execs came away thinking like he was maybe too smart to be a head coach. Like he could, should be in a front office. I think that's a good sign. Cause that's, that's one of the things that makes Belichick great is he's not only a genius coach. He's, he knows how to build a roster. And then Patricia has, hasn't had, a lot to work with the the last couple of years, the Patriots have kind of, you know, shifted their resources from the defense to the offense. They've kind of spent more on the offense and Patricia's uh, he's had to just 
make do with what he has. They have like no talent on that front seven right now. And he somehow turned it around after the first couple of months, we were both wondering how they were going to improve this defense. And he did it. They, I think they were first in points allowed over the second half of the season. So those two things and a lot of the other coordinators besides Romeo Cornell, of course, he's a defensive coordinator. They, a lot of their success was based on Tom Brady because they were offensive guys. He obviously, he doesn't really benefit from having Tom Brady. So he, he doesn't, he, I don't think he needs the Patriots like infrastructure to succeed. I think he's proven that he just need, he, he doesn't need these great players and he's not going to bring them with him to Detroit. And and he has a quarterback. I don't think any of the other, the other uh, coordinators went to a team with a great quarterback and he has Matt Stafford, who's maybe not a great quarterback, but certainly a bona fide franchise quarterback. Well, it's interesting when you look back at the assistants that have that have that have done their thing. That is a, a, a fascinating point. I wrote a little something like the four assistants who have been miserable failures. I mean, you look at Charlie Weiss. He went to Notre Dame, went to a college team. Um, they weren't that great. Um, they had a little bit of success, but they weren't that great. Cornell, like you said, defensive guy, um, has done really well as a coordinator, and that I think speaks to. You know, sometimes these assistants don't work out as a as a, a head coach, and that's it. Eric Mangini. Um, too young, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I just I wasn't sure. I think about, he was yeah. too much young and too much like Belichick because you can't you can't not have Belichick's track record and then try to be him. Try to be that. Yes, great. That, great like, we're saying no guy. And that's that's another point I wrote about with the Patricia thing was that he's not like Belichick. He he has a personality. He'll joke. He'll relate to players more than Belichick ever has. I think that's another thing that will help him. He's not going to try to be like Belichick which is what these other guys did and failed doing. Maybe. I mean, with Josh McDaniels, we talk about the quarterback situation. He ended up with, like, a little bit of that beginning of, of, of the of Tim Tebow world. And then he had, what, I think Kyle Orton as, as a quarterback? He had Cutler. He traded Cutler. Yeah, right, exactly. So, like, you know, it, it, is it the situation or is it the, the, the coaches? And I think if, if Patricia, you know, bucks the trend, that'll be really interesting because it's only four coaches that we're really talking about here. Or five if you include Bill O'Brien, but Bill O'Brien kind of did like branched off with yeah. Penn State, did his own thing before getting his own job. And I mean, he hasn't been great. He's been a serviceable coach. Their offenses, and he's an offensive guy. Their offense has never been great. It was under Watson, so there's that's a good sign for Texans fans. Yeah, I always thought Bill O'Brien built his reputation on what he did at Penn State rather than what he did yeah, exactly. with the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. I think that that covers it. Any any other coaches you want to talk about before we uh, we head off? Uh, yeah, Mike Vrabel. Ra- uh, oh yeah, how could I forget Mike Vrabel? He was another guy that I think that is saying all the right things about you know embracing the college game, and that's a big deal with uh, Marcus Mariota, who just finally es- escaped uh, Mike Malarkey's offense, his outdated offense. He tried to bring in. He, uh, they were eyeing uh, Ohio State's offensive coordinator, a guy that had worked under Chip Kelly. I think that was a smart move. I mean, it, it turned out not working out. Uh, I'm interested to see where Vrabel goes after that. But he's saying all the right things. He's going to get a guy in a, that's going to develop Marcus Mariota and play to his strengths, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, dude, his meteoric rise has, has is an understatement. I mean, he's you know he goes to Ohio State for a few seasons, goes right to Houston. Boom! He, now he's Titan uh, head coach, and and yet, like you said, he's been saying you know exactly what should be said about uh, about Marietta. Would you have been happier seeing McDaniel's with that team, though? 
I don't think so. I want a guy that doesn't – I like that they have a coach, and I wrote this. I like that they have a defensive coach that doesn't have, like, an offensive system that he's going to force onto the team. I think that's better for – that might be better for a quarterback because then – because if McDaniels comes in, he's going to probably try to run what he's been running in New England. But Rabel might – is going to – it seems like he's going to try to bring in someone that's going to play to Mariota's strengths, and Mariota's strengths might not – I think he would fit well in a McDaniel's offense, but I don't think he would fit as well as he would in like what offense the Titans would have ran if they would have gotten Ryan Day, who was that Ohio State offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, we all know that just whatever Mariota's running with Mike Malarkey just was not working. So whatever they can do that's different and they can look on tape and say, hey, you know, do this differently, you know, maybe use his legs more, maybe he's, you know, even more than he has. Maybe, you know, uh, uh, you wrote about Spread kind of it. Out. What was that? Spread things out is, I think, is the yeah. big thing that you need to do. Exactly, uh, and then you know, give the ball you know twenty times to uh, to the running game. I, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm on board. I'm a little curious about Vrabel because this is his first head coaching gig. Uh, you know, obviously, meteoric rise means that he's highly thought of uh, in in both college and NFL circles. And yeah, and he was with uh, Bill O'Brien in in Texas uh, in Houston. So. I, I'm there. I'm I'm scared. I'm a little more skeptical just because it's a first time job. But uh, sometimes you got to think that with you know these younger guys, you know, think about what happened in L.A. That maybe they relate more to the players uh, than somebody who's a little bit older. Um, and I subscribe to that in certain sports. I think it, it works. You know, I think it's it, I think of the Cleveland Cavaliers with Tyron Lue, but that's different because LeBron runs that team anyway. <laughs> but yeah, a, a younger guy maybe it works. Yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, but you never know these. They say these things in the press conferences, and by August, it's a completely different thing. You just never know with these coaches that, it, that where it's their first time being a head coach. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. And next week, we will deal with the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52, and we look forward to that. Thanks, uh, Stephen, for joining us. Yeah, no problem.